Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Good to ride Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating to the jam. It's kicks and bricks where we got game on the streets, and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What up, what up? Welcome to Kicks. Joining me today is a guy that you can find on the hit show, Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, my bro, Antonio Ortiz. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up, big bro? How's everything with you today, Ken? Yeah, no doubt, man. So, like, just for the listeners, um, can you talk about, like, how does it feel to be a part of the Power Universe? It's really a blessing because I've been blessed enough to be part of this industry since I was three years old. I've been acting since I was a child. However, being in this industry for so long, you get to see all different aspects of the industry, right? And I've been on projects where I don't like anybody I'm working with because everybody's vibe on set clashes with each other. Or I've been on sets where I like everybody I'm working with and we get, you know, we get a product that's really good at the end of it. This show has surpassed everything that I've been on in the camaraderie and in the final product of what we get because everybody on the show is creative as hell and we all put our own individual inputs to our characters and our own worlds that we're a part of. So being on this show not only is a blessing in the notoriety that I'm now getting and the recognition that I'm now getting for being in it and being a, a good actor, so to speak, but I'm also blessed to be part of a crew that really expounds and works with each other and makes everybody like their their main goal is to make sure that everybody is comfortable to work together. So once we can work together, we get the best product possible. And that's the show that you guys get to see. And as far as I can tell with the you know feedback, we did a pretty good job. So it's just it's amazing to be on a show like this and really have the opportunity to stretch my creative wings. Did you find it hard to like shed the label of a child actor for a show like this? Yeah, and it, it maybe maybe not so much uh, the label of a child actor, but more so being pigeonholed into the typecast that I was. So most of the time, I was the the fat friend that was the comic relief, or the innocent child that again was comic relief. So those two stigmas really put me into a specific typecast and most of the auditions I would go on that had any depth to a character, I was kind of getting looked over because it's like, oh yeah, that's the funny kid that was in this. or that's the funny kid that was in that. So I never had the opportunity to really to, to show my, my talents. And when I got the audition and the callbacks for power, they looked at me as not only an adult actor, but they looked at me as an actor, period. And I think that that's what I was looking for mainly. And they saw my talents and they saw my uh, ethic and my drive. And they they saw what I wanted to do and what I could provide. And they felt like, yeah, he's definitely going to do his due diligence. So I think that that's, that's more so what I was trying to shed, was being typecast into you know, funnier roles, because I wanted to show that even though I am a funny person, I, I can act. I do want to show, you know, my different um, areas of, of expertise in this industry and in this craft. So, like, kind of going back to the original power, like, were you a fan of the original series? What's crazy is I watched a couple episodes of Power originally here and there before I had booked the show, but my dad was, like, really heavy into it. And... At the same time, he was watching Game of Thrones. And because how because I didn't like Game of Thrones at all, I figured I wasn't going to like Power like that. So fuck it, I'm just not going to watch it. And then I wound up binge watching basically the first whole season. And I was like, oh, no, this is amazing. And they were in, I think, season four. 
at the time that I did that. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna give myself some time and then binge watch season two. I wound up never getting to that. And then when COVID hit us and stopped production for those eight months, right before we went back to work, I finished the rest of Power. And when I, I basically, I went back to filming the day after I watched the episode where Raina dies in Original Power. So I went to work mad as hell. I went to work looking at the producers like, don't even talk to me right now because I killed Raina. What, what the hell is wrong with you? So I definitely wasn't part of the, the fan base in the beginning. And they, <laughs> they snatched me up and thoroughly put me in that fan base because the transition to Ghost, in my opinion, I was, I was really heavily into that. I really liked the show. And I was excited. I was telling my wife one day, even if I wasn't part of Raising Canaan, because of how good power was and because of how captivating the universe of power is, I would have most certainly watched Raising Canaan, even if I didn't get it. And I would have been excited for it to come out the same way I was for like BMF. Can you talk about like some of your favorite characters from the original power the original? It's crazy because obviously, you know, the, the main three ghosts, Tommy and Kanan are like, that, that trio is amazing. That, that trio is only, in my opinion, comparable to the trios of like, um, you know, Mitch, Alpo, and AZ, like how they were in Paid in Full. That's the only other trio that, in my opinion, was, you know, really compatible to them. And it was like, not deep. If there's a group of three people I would want to work with if I was in that life, it would be them. You know what I'm saying? Or if it was three niggas I wanted to know, I wanted to be cool with, it's them. So, when I saw Power, I got that same vibe again. Like, nah, these is like the, that's the trio of coolness in, you know, our day and age, right? This was, this was our show. This is a show version of Paid in Full for us. So <laughs> when I got really into the show and I started seeing and learning more of the characters, Lobos became a very, strong character to me and I really liked his depth because I loved how he was a kingpin but he was very flamboyant and gay that's never been done on television before nobody's ever tapped into that so the fact that they did that and they did it with in my opinion people that I know that asked me like have you met him before which I haven't because they want to know if he's like that in person because he's just so captivating and he's so good on screen it's like there's no way that can just be an act he has to be some he has to be like this in some way, somehow. And I feel like I wound up going through that a lot with power. I wound up feeling like, now, nah, if I never met these people in real life, they're all so captivating in this show. I would feel like this, is, this isn't a show, it's a documentary. So I feel like I wound up going from the, the you know, original three people to more of like um, Donovan, Jer Jerry Donovan, who actually is played by Ty Jones, who still works with us. I love his character and I feel like there's a lot of plot points around his character. He doesn't get credit for that. I feel like a lot of the background people like, um, I can't remember their names right now, but the two gentlemen that worked for Tommy near the end of the series, one of them had glasses and a little fro. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, two-bit and, um, and um, spanky. So those, yeah, those people, that's, that's just me yeah. I'm talking about. Those two were, they took over for me. They're hilarious and they, they definitely made the show in the in the last seasons of it. So I feel like I went from, to answer your question mainly, I went from liking, you know, Ghost Cannon and Tommy to liking a lot of the B characters because of how they carry mm -hmm. the story along. A few minutes ago, you compared Ghost Tommy and Kanan to Alpo Rich and AZ. Like, which one is which? I've always done that. I've always done things like, you know, compare, because we, I see a lot of um, similarities with our show to Juice, the film. So... Low key, if you if you look at the comparisons, I'm kind of the Raheem of the group. If you think about Juice and then you think about our show, but that's that's a whole that's a side, that's a whole different conversation. But um, I feel like Mitch in the movie and Rich in real life would probably be Lulu in our show. The difference is, even though Lulu does run shit in this show, Rock is really the the head of everything. She is the CEO, where he would be the CFO, and Rich or Mitch in the movie was the CEO. So I feel like aside from that difference of power, they are very similar because Lou has that lore to him in his in the, the world of Raising Canaan. People that know of the family, they're afraid of Rock, but they know Lulu is not necessarily the face of it, but he's the style. The people that, you know, idolize rappers and drug dealers, they would be idolizing Lou at that time. They wouldn't be idolizing Rock. So 
I feel like it would be more so Lulu is closer to a, a rich porter. And, you know, Lou just made me a few days ago. I bought a new coat just because of Lou. Really? <laughs> yeah. A brand That's new hilarious. Shirt. I, I'm, I'm, I, I understand that. <laughs> I actually, um, I had a uh, silver shirling that I wore to work when we started filming. And when I got to set, they told me like, are oh, you trying to be like Lulu? And I was like, I actually got this because of how 50 was wearing the shirlings in original power. So I thought I was trying to be like Kanan and they showed me Lulu's coat. And I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm trying to be like Lou. All right, cool. I really like that. I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to mention that the authenticity I feel like in the, um, wardrobe department is very strong because we don't just well they correct me, i don't have any part in that they don't just you know go to thrift stores and grab what they can find they've we've have situations where they rent clothes off of people that have vintage items you know they will contact people that are that are on instagram and you know always throwing up these vintage things like oh could i rent that off of you for a couple months we do a shoot and then bring it back and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of pieces that we have on set that are either rented or purchased off of individual people as opposed to like a, a business or a corporation. And I feel like that adds into the authenticity because we're getting it from people who bought it back then. We're not getting it from the businesses that try to remake it now. So I feel like because there's a lot of cross color shit that gets remade now and they don't look the same to the cross color set that we wear for the show. And I feel like that authenticity level is something that a lot of shows miss. There's a lot of times that you can watch a show and it'll be flawless in every other regard but the wardrobe. So Raising Canaan, um, it's just been renewed for season two. You know, what can we expect going forward, you know, as we transition from- More famous. From 91 to 92. Nah, um, <laughs> really though, um, the transition from 91 to 92, I think something that a lot of the people that were around at that time will appreciate is the transition from the leftovers of the 80s movements to the start of the 90s movements. So with being in 91, there was a lot of leftover stuff from 89 or 88 or that era that gets kind of dripped into our lingo or our fashion or some of the situational stuff that we get put into or some of the cars that we drive. Whereas now in 92, we're a very musically driven show. So there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of music now that they're playing in the show because it has just now come out in 92. So there's a lot of, you know, we're going through the same vibe of when it was actually being released back then. We're drip feeding it to the public the same way it was drip fed back then. And I feel like that's something that will be appreciated amongst the fan base because a lot of individuals that watch the shows that are of a certain age, they'll tell me like the authenticity of back then is on point and they love the vibe that they get because a lot of the situational stuff that we do is very um on cue or on point to things that were happening back then so i think that you know something that we can mainly expect for season two is the startup to the 90s and the startup to all of the um all of the things that we got from the 90s artistically speaking so like actually how they did the promotion for bmf how they were saying that big beach had influenced the whole generation of people basically what we're documenting in how we film is the influence of art culture onto street culture and vice versa. So I feel like aside from the expounding of, cause we now in season two, you're getting answers to season one. You know, We continue on through a lot of different characters, perspectives on situations. And we give a lot of information that doesn't necessarily just leave you with closure, but it leaves you with all right, now that answer is done, but but what does this mean for the future? You know, so I feel like aside from the artistic value and really expounding on that throughout the 90s and throughout our show, we're going to really expound on the universal aspect of the show and really show that there's a whole world to each series that we have. So I feel like that's what you can expect mainly of season yeah. two is the expansion of our world. To kind of piggyback on the authenticity of the show, me personally, I like that the show doesn't look gentrified like how the city looks now. It really looks like how um, 
how New York looked like back then, back in the nineties. So to definitely me, that's that's so dope to me. it's interesting because amongst you know a bunch of different things uh in the authenticity conversation that is something that's been brought up as well as the lack of gentrification and um what's funny is like power was a very gentrified show in my honest opinion the original series and this show now for the fans because we didn't it's not like it was specifically done with any type of exclusion in mind But for the fans, it was refreshing to see the authentic uh, social class and diverse group of people that were in certain areas. A lot of things that get, excuse me, that get swept up under the rug is like the background aspect of television and the background aspect of movies. And in our background, we nine times out of 10, we don't have, you know, 3000 extras that are just walking down the street and trying to make, you know, the scene proper. We have the people in those neighborhoods most of the time. And those there's are actual people walking around. Those are actual, you know, citizens of that area. So I feel like what's very interesting is we just show the actual diverse groups that are still there and that were there. And I feel like the representation of color on the screen, especially for the time frame, it wouldn't have made sense if the if the area of Queens we were in was overly gentrified like how it is today. So I feel like the representation of color on screen and the representation of the authenticity of that time frame is basically something that's really refreshing to people. And like, to me, like the biggest thing is how the bodegas look, because now the bodegas look like nice and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, like back then, I missed the freezes on the wall. And like, I don't know, it just, it's just the vibe was different back then. Yeah, I definitely feel you because a lot of people have brought that up, that the vibe was different back then and that it's almost inexplicable. If you weren't part of it, you're not going to really understand it. But being able to see it on screen, now people have a way to explain it. Like, oh, you remember how that looked? That's how it was back then. So. On the show, you're surrounded with the all-star cast and like being one of the youngest cast members, from your perspective, what was it like working with some of the vets on the show? What's crazy is, so I'm, I'm 22 years old, right? So technically I'm a adult, but like you said, I'm working with heavy hitters on the show and I'm working with a lot of people that I've watched for my entire life. Case in point, I've watched Omar Epps almost whole catalog of work. So when I got to meet him, this wasn't a situation of, oh yeah, I'm getting to work with him now. It's holy shit, I'm in the same room with Omar Epps. And I feel like that may be the main I think that may be the main difference and the main separation between me and the rest of the cast is that the rest of, even though I've been, I've been acting for 19 years, I'm coming up on 20 years in a couple of months. Like, even though I've been doing this for so long, I am still such a fan of movies and such a fan of television that when I get to work with heavy hitters like this, I definitely get the work done. But before we get there, can I just get this pick real quick? Cause my mom really would like to see this. Like, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, I'm just starstruck because I just brought up Juice. Like, that's one of my favorite movies. And one of my favorite characters in Juice is now in front of me. I have scenes with this man. It's not like I bumped into him on the street and I'm asking for a pick. I actually get to work with him now and I get to pick up on the, the gems and learn from someone that's been not only in this industry for a long time, but... he is very distinguished in the fact that he stayed relevant through this entire time span. He's not a nineties actor, how a lot of them have become nowadays that if they're in a project, it seems more so like a cameo than anything else. This man has stayed relevant enough to have important plot filled roles in the projects that he's in and he bodies all of them shits. So I feel like it's a blessing to have him. It's a blessing to have people like Tina Miller. It's a, Haley Kilgore is Tony award winning. And I feel like that shows in this project so much. The last episode, not the last episode, I think it's the episode before last, where Jukebox finds out about Nicole's death. I don't think anybody realizes, but Haley, who plays Jukebox in the show, she didn't speak for that entire episode. She didn't have one line. However, Everybody that was here in my house watching it, as well as myself, as well as people that I know that watched the episode, if they weren't full out crying, they got choked up, they got emotional, they felt sad. 
because they felt the pain she was going through on screen. They felt that connection to her and they felt like they were going through it with her. And first and foremost, I've never seen that happen from somebody that's even in my age group. That type of acting always happens with the greats and that are above us. So the fact that I got to see that so close to me, that shit just made me want to go harder in my role. It made me want to be that type of actor. And it's like seeing the level of talent and creativity that is distributed amongst this cast list is insane. So there is a lot of times that I kind of feel like the kid of the bunch, even though there's a couple cast members that are younger than me. It's like two or three cast members that are younger than me, but I do somewhat feel like the youngest and not necessarily most inexperienced, but be most happy to be here. Because every time I come to work, I'm not only just filming and, you know, making some type of money, but I don't even act for the monetary value. I act because I genuinely love this. So when I get to meet people that I've idolized for years, it's like, holy shit. And then now, like, Makai Curtis was on a Disney show for years before he got on power. This is a very established actor in his craft, and he does all types of research for his roles. Case in point, he sounds like 50. And it's, it's crazy because 50 sounds how he sounds with the, the clenched jaw shit because of his situations in his life and, you know, like having to have his uh, jaw wired and stuff like that. But Kanan doesn't talk like that because he got shot nine times. Kanan talks like that because that's his speech impediment. So Makai Curtis did that research and implemented that speech impediment. And now yeah, some of the times when he speaks on TV, the people I'm around and be like, yo, he sounds just like this. So really being around heavy hitters just makes me, instead of, you know, making me feel like I'm not doing enough or making me self-conscious about my craft, it actually makes me want to strive to go that much harder because I'm already around these people. So I had to do something good enough to get here. So I should just take as much as I can to learn from it and to implement it in the rest of my projects. What's the best 50 cent story that you have to tell? I've actually accumulated a couple. And the one that I love telling people the most, the one that really sticks out in my head is when I first met him. The first time I met 50, we had a table read before COVID ruined the country, right? Table reads were with the entire cast of the episode that we were reading. Whoever's like in the script, we have to come in, we do a read of the entire script. It's just reading the words, we don't act anything out. Normally it's on like a long picnic table and that's about it, or like a long conference table and that's about it. When I booked stars, well, I booked stars, when I booked power, I knew I booked a great show and I knew that I booked a show that was already sanctioned in its repertoire and in its popularity. However, I didn't know how big of a production it was going to be. Because like I said, the table read is a very small, quaint thing. It's supposed to be intimate between you and the other cast members and the director. Y'all get to know each other and y'all get to work and read the words out for the first time. We did this first table read and I swear to God, there was like eight conference tables making a big ass like rectangular shape. It was about 90 seats around these tables and a bottle of the champagne that 50 Cent uh, produces. And I immediately got dry mouth. I started panicking because there's a catering table and nine cameras from stars. Table reads are never televised or recorded. So I'm looking at these cameras like, what, what is going on right now? I asked the coordinator what's happening. And she was like, oh yeah, we always do this for 50 table reads. We, you know, we do the behind the scenes footage, stuff like that. You, you with us now, you'll be okay. So I'm panicking. I'm like, oh my God, there's so much shit going on. I got to go wash my face. I got to calm down. Go to the restroom. I wash my face. As I'm walking out of the restroom, I had this bad habit for years. I always would walk with my head down when I would think about something. Whenever I'm really deep in thought, I would always walk with my head down because I'm, I'm thinking about shit. I walked out the bathroom just like this, head down, not paying attention. And I bumped right into 50. So when I bump into him, he like, I picked my head up. I immediately started stuttering to apologize. And he was like, relax, you all right? Because he's wearing this beautiful ass white turtleneck, a turquoise suit and white Air Force Ones. I'm like, I just fucked this man whole outfit up just because I touched him. Like, I felt like I, I was about to get fired just off of that. He tells me, calm down, it's all right, you're going to be good. Then he goes to walk off and go to the bathroom and he stops and he goes, wait, you, you play famous, right? So I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> you, you blessed me with that. So he was like, nah, like you, because we had to rap for our auditions. 
He was like, you really know how to rap, bro. I'm not going to lie. You really know how to work the mic. I like your cadence. I like your vibe. And I heard you freestyled in there. So I was like, yeah, I did. There was like, you know, uh, extra three lines that weren't in the script. So I figured, fucking let me put it in there so it sounds good. So he was like, see, I like shit like that. But stop walking with your head down. Stop doing that shit because you're going to wind up getting yourself into a situation. I swear to you, I have not walked with my head down since that day. I don't know what it is. I could be as deep in thought as possible. I don't do that shit. And it's crazy because it was the first time I met him and it was the first thing he told me. And then after that, I see him at the, the after party. I walk in, head up, chin straight, all of that, you know, making sure that I'm aware of my surroundings. He comes up to me, he says, hi. I got to meet his girl. He met my wife. Soon as I see him, he was like, I like how you're not walking with your head down. You're paying attention now. That's some grown man shit. I felt like I was handling my business and being a grown man for some years now. But when 50 told me I was a grown man, now I'm a grown ass man. Did you ever like encounter petty 50 cent? Because like that 50 cent on Instagram, that's my favorite. Oh, I'm blocked. <laughs> how you get blocked? I'm blocked. I'm blocked on Instagram right now. For Not from Instagram, but from 50. 50 blocked. How'd that happen? What happened? Tell us that story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's another funny ass story. So I still live in the projects up until like next month, basically. I'm getting out. This is now, I'm on a project now that I can change my life, right? So, and I actually told him that a bunch of times. Like, I'm so thankful because I'm able to do shit like this on this project. I feel like he's really changing my life. I've told him that a million times. So, like right before the premiere of the show, he had posted a picture of myself, Makai Curtis, and Haley Kilgore. And when he posted that, a friend of mine, also from the project, commented on that post, right? I commented that, I was like, thank you for posting me. That's amazing. No tagsies. I thought we was cooler than that. It was just like a, a small joke, whatever. Ha, ha, ha. He liked the comment. Cool. Then my friend proceeds to post shit like, um, Oh, he did better than last time because I don't know if you remember when the first publicities came out for the show. It's like a third of my face that wasn't in the picture. So apparently that wasn't uh, uh, that was a problem for this specific friend of mine. So he commented on the shit like, oh, he doing better than last time because you wasn't really even in the picture. This these are all different comments, by the way. Um, he did way better this time. Not as he should before we have to fess him up. Who the fuck? What? Shut up, get off the post. Like, what are you doing? What are, what are you doing? I texted him, like, yo, shut up. Like, what, what are you about to fess up? You gonna tell 50, like, oh, you need to start posting AJ properly? Like, no, no, you're not. Like, leave this man signed my checks. Shut up. So, in the process of me telling my friend, mind your damn business, I just got posted by 50 Cent. I go back to the page because my social media blew up the day that he posted me. I got like 300 followers in five minutes. So I'm trying to bask in all of that glory. And then in the middle of that, because this dude want to comment like 15 times about how 50 needs to start showing me more and giving me more publicity, we both got blocked. I was like, what the fuck? I was hurt by that. When I got to the premiere, I was like, yo, big bro. Like, I, I just looked at him, I'm like, he was like, now nah, you'll get unblocked sooner or later. I was like, damn, was that me? He was like, nah, that was your man. Tell him my business. I was like, all right, cool, I got you. I got you. I'm unblocked now, but it, it, it took a minute to get back in the good races. <laughs> you know, streets need a body. That's a hit in my book. Like, can you take us, like, who wrote the song? Um, can, you, can you tell us about the making of the song? So, Streets Need a Body was written by, uh, written and produced by Sean C. He basically not only made the blueprint for the song, but he did, he did 90% of the song. And the only other 10%, five of which was my vocals, and then the other five was my creative input to the song. There was a tour, not, I don't want to admit them, I don't want to diminish it and make it seem like it's small, but there was only a few lines in the song that he allowed me to change because it didn't flow properly or it didn't, like my cadence wasn't, they didn't match my cadence more or less, or it, did, or it just didn't fit in the persona that I was giving my character, whatever the reason may be. He was, he was there to allow me to, you know, stretch my creative legs. But the main point of the song was to be on plot because the point of the song is to cause an issue between me and Kanan, right? It was supposed to lead to basically me dry snitching about a lot of the shit that we're doing and I'm not supposed to, but this is how I'm, I'm blowing up. So like, 
how you mad at me type shit. This is what all rappers do, but that was the point of that song. So we couldn't do too much crazy shit with that to be creatively amazing because we needed it to be on point to the script. However, he did allow me to stretch my legs and do what I wanted to do where I could. And because of that, we still work together closely. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we have in the works because I'm a, I'm a rapper in the show. So that's not the only song that's going to be coming out. You know, there's going to be other things that I do in this series. So we still definitely have a relationship and still uh, work together. And I feel like he's amazing at his craft and the, the, topical writing that he does is something that I feel like people can't do anymore. Like my generation of rappers, they can't necessarily go through how Pat Poose would do his freestyles and pick a bunch of random shit in, you know, in front of you and just rap about it or get a topic and now rap about it. Unless you're on something like Wildin' Out, people don't really do shit like that. So the fact that he, he showed me how to topically write about shit and then he showed me how to hone in and be creative while still being on task. So I, I, I can't wait for everybody to see the stuff that he's been working on for the show, the stuff that we've been working on together. You know, after watching Raising Kanan, I have this theory that Kanan named his son Sean after your character. Is that true or just, just me overthinking? So I, I cannot, you know, like I, I don't want to, before I say anything, I don't want to, I just want to throw out there, like, I can't say anything that will give away any type of information for up and coming events of the show. However, there is no real clean cut, um, you know, stamp of me in Powers universe, if you follow what I'm saying. Like, I don't, like, Jukebox is Anika Noni Rose in Power, you know, like, Kanan turns into 50. Everybody, for the more or less, has a counterpart in what would be present day time. I don't. So when I noticed that, and I noticed basically the small hints of my character throughout the show, because I'm glad that you picked up on Kanan's son's name, but there's also a conversation between Kanan and Jukebox that references me in one of their episodes as well. So with the small hidden gems like that, you're definitely not, you're definitely, um, what's the word? You're not off the beaten path. You're not off track completely. I can't tell you that definitively that's why he named his son Sean, but I can tell you that you're in the right realm of ideology because we were that close. You know, I was definitely his best friend for longer. Like we were friends from, I think, third grade. So in this show already, he's my 10 plus year friend. So I, I'm not gonna tell you you're completely wrong with that idea, but I, I, you, you know how this goes. Yeah. All right, so your character Famous is rapping at a time in New York where to me was like the golden age of you know East Coast rap. Like who are some of your favorite 90 rappers from that time period? Ooh, damn, that's a good question. You know, it's crazy. My palette is very wide when it comes to music in general, but being like on, on a specific question, i.e., um, you know, 90s rappers, I feel like first and foremost, Tupac is the reason I make music today. Tupac is the reason I learned how to write poetry. Tupac is the reason I put pen to paper. So that's that's first and foremost my favorite rapper. Past that, my palette for 90s music has always been intricate. Like the more intricate of a rapper you are, the more I liked you when I was younger, especially when I was younger, because I would literally with notebooks break down people's wordplay and their syllables and like separate the word where they said it differently and put the emphasis on certain letters and make those letters capitalize. And that's how I learned how to write. So people like Big L, people like Big Pun, people like... um. With, I, I actually like Rakim and early Big Daddy Kane, to be honest with you. Um, there's a lot of lyrical rappers that I feel like are so forgotten about by my generation that if they still had some type of, you know, memory or input into date, like, I feel like if more people in my generation knew about Slick Rick, we would have more storytellers as rappers where we don't have that. But the storytellers we do have, nine times out of 10, those niggas know who, Rick, who Slick Rick is. So it's like, I feel like my, my favorites were, you know, the lyrical artists and the, the artists that were 
that were way, way too smart for the bullshit that they got back then. Like Wu-Tang, in my opinion, is one of the founding member members of expressionless hip hop. I feel like nobody was really, they were speaking their mind. That's what rap is, is being able to speak your mind where you weren't able to before. But nobody was doing it like Wu-Tang. Nobody was as grimy and nobody was as gutter like Wu-Tang before Wu-Tang. And then when they came out, they were, in my opinion, because I was not there. That's something I throw out when I had this call. I was born in 99. I was not there. So I don't know for a fact. But the way it seems, it, it really seems like after their input to the game and after they came out so heavy, then the grimiest and most gutterest people from the darkest places was coming out and they was coming out heavy. After Wu-Tang and after DMX, I felt I feel like it became not necessarily cool, but it was no longer taboo to not have a record label behind you. It was no longer taboo to not have millions of dollars and a bunch of females and nice cars in your video. It became normal to be in the middle of your projects with pit bulls and the, the bike life dudes behind you, you know? So I feel like that's that's mainly uh my 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 ideal group of rappers and my my favorite rappers back then are the lyricists and the ones that put that stamp on the game that came in on some real aggressive shit like listen i ain't taking nothing but trying no correction i'm not gonna steal nothing but i'm taking what's mine and it's like that's that's what fuels me to do my music the way i do it that's what fuels me to treat my auditions the way i treat them because realistically when i had the audition for power not gonna name drop, but there was a person that was on the call sheet for the like audition itself. I saw that this uh, this actor had signed in a couple hours before me. He booked Power as a small role prior to this show. So when he went out for, we both went out for that audition and he got that one. So when I went out for this one and I saw his name again, even though that's one of my closest fucking friends, I saw his name on that list and I was like, not twice. You're not getting this over me twice. That's not happening. So I feel like the people that came in with that rough, raw energy are the people that I idolize the most and coincidentally the people that inspire me the most. You know, Raising Canaan, it has a pretty dope soundtrack. Like if you can formulate your own soundtrack to the show, like which artists would be on it? And like, would you like put it out on... Um, on tape because I think that experience is is something that well for me is something that I miss. What's interesting is like I said I wasn't there right so there's some things that happen not happen but there's some places that I would put in certain songs and certain vibes and I would do I would do a soundtrack in a specific way and I get kind of backpedaled by production or by somebody that was around back then because either the song didn't come out at the time frame that I want to place it or it just doesn't match what we're trying to do. But what's incredible to me is that my soundtrack to Raising Canaan would be almost exactly what it is. And that is so beautiful to me because I genuinely feel like there's no show that is completely perfect. It, our show isn't completely perfect, but the authenticity and the things we get right are a lot bigger and a lot, uh, there's a lot more things we get right than get wrong on this show. So one of the things that I wouldn't change mainly is, is that soundtrack. That soundtrack is amazing to me and I, I really, I feel like this this is a great way to put this generation on because you can you can actually attest to this if you don't mind me asking how old are you? I'm 34, man. I'm old. You 34? You don't even look 34. Yeah. That's why I was asking. You look like you in the <laughs> late 20s. So the reason why I'm asking is because you're 34. You can attest to it to an extent. People that's 24, people that's 22, people that's 20, that's 19, they don't know the music that's in this show the way you do or the way people in your yeah, age group do so like but if you like this if it wasn't for shazam or raising canaan stars on instagram posting the songs every week 
I would continuously be asked what music is in the show because I still get asked that sometimes. Yo, what song was playing when y'all did this? Or what song was playing when they ran away from that? And it's like, first of all, Raising Canaan Stars on Instagram puts that out every Sunday. They put out a track list of the soundtrack and they have it on Apple Music. It's amazing. Secondly, I'm not human Shazam. Like you could just, you know, put the mic up to the TV and see what the song is. But I really feel like this show is putting my generation back on to all of these archive gems. And I really, I'm appreciative of it because I feel like there's more education on hip hop now than there has been in the last 10 years. Like currently now, like who are some artists that you're listening to now? Because after we're done here, I'm about to go listen to West Side Gun new joint that um, just dropped. You know, it's funny, West Side Gun is actually a really great artist. Uh, I was going to mention that, but before I mention the people that uh, I listen to, are you asking specifically in, in hip hop or are you asking in general, what do I listen to? Just in, just in general. It's in general. Um, so like I had said, you know, my palette for music is really wide. So I listen to, I listen to, you know, pop, rock, shit like that when I'm like cleaning the house or trying to be motivated. But my thoroughbred stuff is always hip hop and R&B. That's, that's my home. That's where I go to for my main taste of music. Right now, the main R&B artist if you consider him an R&B artist that I've been listening to is The Weeknd. His sound, in my opinion, he's like a Maxwell of our generation to where he can actually sing the same way on the track that he can in a live performance. That is very rare nowadays. But past that, um, I listen to people, even though we all have our guilty pleasures, you know, we all have our, our music that we listen to just because it's catchy. But even though I have songs here and there like that that I listen to, artists that I mainly check in on are people like Sleepy Hollow or Chef G that have a strong sense of lyricism in their music. Um, one of the main people that I listened to a lot was Juice World before he passed away, RIP. Mac Miller was a very big input to... Um, you know, to my life as well as my music. Um, like I said, I listen to everything at least once, but I go back, at least as far as like hip hop goes, I go back to the same group of people. And like Lil Wayne has always been in my phone, but the fact that his music has been a lot more stagnated now, I've filled in my time with people like G Herbo, a person that in my opinion is lyric lyrical as hell, but just chooses to be somewhat silly in his music is i don't know if you know who sada baby is nah i never heard of him sada is he baby, one of them, the new rappers i i don't i don't know enough about him to call him new i feel like he's been doing this for a couple years but there's some songs that he has that are topical that are lyrical that are you know that he's telling a story and then there's other songs that are he made a song about um, the, the Tiger King dude, whatever his name was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, what, what was it? Joseph something? Um, Joe Exotic. Exotic. Something. Yeah. 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 The song was called Free Joe Exotic. Like that's, that's some of the type of music he makes. So that's one of my guilty pleasure shit. But like um, something that I go to, like, and I don't mean guilty pleasure at all because he's not good. I just mean more so like guilty pleasure that I don't normally check in on him. But when I do, I bump his shit. But um, another artist that I'm really heavily into right now, and I'm, you know, I always check back for the music is um, people like, you know how Kendrick Lamar has PG Lang now? So like Baby mm -hmm. Keem is on that. I follow up with Baby Keem a lot. King Vaughn, in my opinion, was my, he was one of my favorite artists to come out of this generation. Dare I say my favorite artist to come out of this generation because I genuinely feel like he was he was like speaker knockers, where speaker knockers was technically hood and technically ghetto because of what he was talking about. But he got songs that are literal stories. Like King Vaughn has Crazy Story Part One, Two, and Three, and Speaker Knockers had I think Tony Story or something like that. And these are actual stories about situations that they've either been in or known of, and they're telling this to the masses in such an artistic way. And it's like, 
in my opinion, Dirk is amazing, but King Vaughn was really something special. I feel like he would, if he was in the game for 10 years, he would have passed Dirk eventually. And Dirk even said shit like that. But unfortunately, you know, God took him upstairs. So we don't yeah. we didn't get to see what he could have turned into. But that one was was something that really fucked me. I listened to Pop before he passed, but that was and in no way, shape, or form is this uh uh is this belittling his talents or anything. I'm like when I say a guilty pleasure, I don't mean at all that mm-hmm. he was, you know, subpar and I was just listening to it because it was whatever, it was just catchy. He was a good rapper. I just felt like he was keeping he put he had his foot on the throats of the generational sound wave of like drill rap he had his hand his fingers on the pulse of that and i feel like because he did so successfully with that he didn't want to let go too fast to show his creative side and lose his fan base which was i get that i get that completely but unfortunately another situation god brought him upstairs so we didn't get to see what he could turn into Unfortunately, it seems like the people I fuck with a lot are passing away. But, you know, I do like a lot of our newer artists that actually take the time to do the work. Because 50, 50s, my favorite 50 story with Pop was when he met Pop Smoke, how Pop was not really looking at him too much. He was just in his phone the whole fucking time. So 50 thought he was mm-hmm. being like a regular, you know, disrespectful kid that just couldn't get his face out of his fucking phone. And then when he asked him what he's doing and his shit, he showed him the phone and he was on notes writing down everything that 50 said. That is an incredible fucking story to me. And it speaks on his work ethic and how much this nigga wanted to do the research and be the best rapper he could be. It wasn't just about getting the bag. You feel me? So the people that are more on creating or like being creative and showing who they are and being an artist those are the people I check in more so than the people that are just trying to get the bag right now. Like that beatbox correction, homie got shot. My, I don't think he's he passed or anything. My prayers go to his family. In no way, shape, or form should should any violence happen to these young actors and rappers that are coming out. You feel me? This this young and like eighteen, I think nineteen. But the kid that made the beatbox shit, you know what I'm talking about? That beatbox challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to none of his music. Now that doesn't that doesn't speak on anything else of his you know social experiences anything of him you know in the situation he's in now that doesn't speak on any of that shit. It really, I put a post up about it when it happened. Prayers up to bro because nobody should be in that situation. I don't wish that shit on nobody, but I didn't listen to the beatbox at all because I didn't like that song. But his other music is valid. You get know what I'm saying? So I have to I have to be brought into something before I really check up on you, you feel me? Like at first with Polo G, I ain't really know too much about him and I only heard one song that was catchy. And then I started actually doing my own research on him. He's amazing. Like he really is one of the best lyrical rappers right now. All right, man. So before we go, I want to play a game. It's called um, Start Bench Cut. Like start I'll give cut. you, yeah, I'll give you three things and then and then you just tell me start bench or cut it. Start so we're going to do- two rounds one with 90s 90s rappers and then the next one with like current rappers okay okay i'm ready i'm ready all right so um the first one is start bench cut with the 90 rap with the 90s groups i should say um we have naughty we have naughty by nature tribe and wu-tang damn you came out the gate swinging start the next one is cut the next yeah. one is harder? Yeah, I'm just telling you. All right. All right. Start bench cut. Um, you said tribe, you said woo, yeah. and you said who else? And, and naughty by nature. And naughty by nature. Start bench cut. Damn. I don't know how much flack I'm about to get for this response, but because I like mainly one person out of naughty by nature and not the whole crew, I'm a mm-hmm. cut naughty. Even though that sounds crazy, I'm a cut naughty, right? I feel like I would, I would, I would really circulate between Wu and Tribe because half of me with the eclectic backpack type rap and having my third eye open would start Tribe and bench Wu Tang, especially because Tribe has more of a catalog. But as I told you, the influence that Wu had on a generation and the way that they influence even music today. 
Nah, fuck it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start start tribe bench who cut naughty. That's how we going. That's how All I'm right. gonna give you a definitive answer. That's how we doing it. All right. All right. I'm gonna skip the next one for a minute. Sure? I'm gonna do this one. Yeah. All I'm, right. But for this one, don't get fired. So we got Nas, <laughs> Jaru, Fifty Cent. Nah. Hold on. Hold on. Don't get fired. Because I have you on the AirPod. I have my videographer yeah. here with me. We're doing start bench cut. And the question is start bench cut Nas, 50, and Jabu. He's trying to get me fired. Like, I, said, I said, don't get fired. <laughs> um, all right. So, boom. First and foremost, and this is, this. I know how this is going to sound. It's probably going to seem like because I work for 50, but I'm saying this. Realistically, we're going off of personal preference. I'm cutting Ja Rule over it. I don't even listen to his shit. Like, I, I'm sorry. I think I like two songs by him. One of them is with Ashanti, one of them is with J-Lo. Like, that's it. I feel right. like now, now for me to not get fired, you feel me, I'm going to just start 50 and I'm going to bench not, right? And on personal preference, 90% of me is going to start 50 and, you know, bench not. Mm-hmm. However, the same shit I was saying with Tribe, having my third eye open and, you know, the catalog and the the creativity aspect and how much I relate to it. I related to Nas growing up a lot more than I did at 50, but I relate to 50 more as a grown-ass man than I do to Nas. So I genuinely feel like in this situation, because of where I'm at in my life, I'd start 50 and bench Nas and cut Ja Rule. However, if we were talking about 10 years ago, where I was developmentally and what I was doing with my life, I would have started Nas because of the cleanse that I was trying to do to my soul and my, my mind. I was trying to cleanse everything to become the king that I was trying to be. You feel me? Now that we're here and I'm in adulthood and I see, you know, what fame brings and I see that, you know, like I said, I still live in the projects. I'm about to leave now, but I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it bread out here like, I'm not all the way up here mentally. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm a little little cuckoo sometimes, especially when it comes to family and shit like that. So Nas has never, in my opinion, been a person that seems like he don't handle his business. Nas handles his. However, 50 has always been more vocal on how he handles his. So that's why I'm starting fifth, benching Nas and cutting cutting Ja Rule. Because Ja Rule is a deep voice Cisco. That's that's all that is right there. <laughs> All right, so the next one is hard. So um, uh, I'm telling you now. All right, we got Jay-Z, Drake, Kanye. You know what's funny? I don't know how you're going to feel about what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> in every way, shape, or form, Jay-Z deserves all of his moments. That man has influenced music to beyond compare. That man has talent that, in my opinion, in his isolated lane, uh, you got the rock hat on, you feel me? In in Jay's lane, mm-hmm. he is uncomparable to anybody else because of how he started and how how he addressed this game and what he did to it. He not only, you know how people tell you milk the game for whatever you can? He didn't just milk the game for whatever he could. He got everything out of it. And he's still not only getting shit out of the game, but he's changing the game, adding things into the game, and taking care of people he don't even need to. The way he bails people out of their situations and really makes sure that that artists own their masters and shit like that, this man is, in my opinion, aside from 50 beyond compare, because 50 is the same, he has the same intent with a different work ethic. Jay-Z, in my opinion, is more of a managerial person where he's like higher up and just lets niggas know what to do to run a business. Again, because I've never met him. Whereas 50, because I've met him, seems a lot more hands-on with his shit. And I see that in their music as well. There is a sense of, now, even though I give Jay-Z credit whenever it's due, I personally am not a heavy Jay-Z fan. Even though I know a good amount of his work word for word, that's through familiarity and having everybody play this shit around me most of the time. I do have some favorites from him, but on my list of top 10 favorite rappers, he's not in the top three as he is with almost everybody else that I know. So start, start bench cut Jay, 
you said who else? Kanye and and, and Drake. And Drake. Real shit. I'm starting yay. I'm starting yay. I'm benching. I'm benching Jay-Z only because his talent, in my opinion, surpasses Drake's in rap. Whereas if we aren't going on personal preference and we're going, and I like Drake's overall catalog a little bit more than I like Jay-Z. However, the song that I do like by Jay-Z, I like more than the songs that I like by Drake. So if we go off of commercial success, though, even though monetarily Jay-Z has way more money than anybody in this game, Drake is the only person that I can say, like, from a standpoint of now, he will most certainly be relevant to the same extent in the next five years. Whereas I feel like, unfortunately, my generation, no, not my generation, but the generation right under me is losing sight of the input that people like Jay-Z had on this industry. So they, instead of giving this man roses like he's due for, they kind of just see him as another old hat. So I feel like as far as commercial success goes and longevity goes, Jay-Z is definitely still going to be CEO in the next five years. But I don't think my sister, because my sister's nine, is going to be 10 soon. I don't think my sister's generation is going to look up to Jay-Z the way you do or the way my people in my generation do. I don't think that level of appreciation for his craft is still going to be there. That would be the only reason that I put Drake above Jay. Mm-hmm. All right, man. So I want to thank you for joining me today. Do you have any upcoming projects that you're working on? Um, so basically, you know, Power brought me out. I'm with these guys. You know, I'm working solely with them. However, I did um, a project called 40-Year-Old Version that is on Netflix right now. It, um, it came out about a year and a half ago. Uh, basically, we went to Sundance and we won awards and we have expanded now our platform and the movie is going to a lot more countries than it was originally. So I definitely want people to tune into that. And I have a short film that is currently in um, film festivals and we're racking up awards with that as well. Not even to sound, you know, not to toot my own horn, but um, the short film that I did is actually, you know, it's, it's a great project and I feel like we are on path to create either a feature or something you know along the lines of that because of how successful the short was and that was called eagle the director behind that did an amazing job that movie's nine minutes and in those nine minutes i was able to give such a dramatized performance that i was never able to do before that i felt like um you know if ever we got the opportunity to expound on that and do it again in a, in a bigger format I would most certainly do that. And I recently got the call that that may be possible. So that's something that I definitely want people to tune into. When um, Eagle, if I'm not mistaken, is on streaming services as well as the short film. So I definitely would want people to tune into that too. But mainly I'm currently working on power and uh, we're gonna be doing that, you know, until the contract is done. So that's what I want you guys to tune into because we're filming season two now. We got green lit for it before season one premiered. So we got heavily into filming season two very fast. After Power and after we finish, you know, filming and everything like that, I will, I'll basically be able to start going out on auditions again. So, cause now I don't, I don't take project opportunities that are going to be in uh, production of Power because I have to have full uh, responsibility with Power than anything else. So. Basically, right. I'm waiting, not even waiting, whenever we do finish, because I don't want to finish Film Power. I love this fucking show. I want to be on this show for as long as I can, and I keep doing, you know, a better and better job at work every day I go, so that way I can kind of impress the higher-ups, and they, you know, they get used to seeing me and be like, all right, we'll throw them in another season. So, you know, hopefully I can milk this for as long as possible and ride this wagon on, and then um, whenever I'm done with that, we're, we're moving on to whatever's next. You know, I'm never... I never want to stay stagnant, even though this is a great show and even though this is doing amazing things for me. When this is over, unfortunately, when it does come to an end and when I'm no longer part of the project, it's just another project for me to start doing. All right, man. Thank you for everything, man. I appreciate no, thank you. Thank you, boys. So you have a great day, all right?